verses 1 and 2. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he has chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's not right. Ephesians 1, 1, and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. We'll get on track here. Although, as we talked last week, although it's been debated by some biblical scholars as to who actually wrote the book of Ephesus, I think this first verse here kind of leads us to believe that Paul wrote it since he speaks of himself when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, it's like an introduction portion of the letter. So with that and with a lot of other things, the style of writing and so forth, we will go with the assumption that Paul did write the book of Ephesians. Most likely, as we talked about last week, it was written sometime around the time when he spent three years in Ephesus, and probably during that time he wrote this letter, and it was circulated to a lot of other churches around the area. But it was contributed mainly to Ephesus because Ephesus at the time was the Christian central location of that day. When Paul left Ephesus, he left the church in in the hands of a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers that Paul actually worked with when he was there. You can read that in uh, later in chapter 18 if you like. The general nature or theme of Ephesus doesn't really give us the um, specific circumstances for which it was written. Uh, Some of the books, uh, the letters that Paul wrote, if you read the theme, you can see that there was a particular problem in that church at the time. And because of that particular problem, Paul wrote and addressed certain problems. In the book of Ephesus, it's not quite as clear as what the situation was. But a couple things that are clear. The people that he was writing to were Gentiles. They were people that were displaced from the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. Uh, If you read uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, 
Praise be. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promises without hope and without God in the world. And Paul addressed them as Gentiles. Basically, they were outsiders of the ones that God had poured his spirit out on to start with. But you have to keep in mind, Ephesus was not really in that close of a proximity to Jerusalem. Uh, Ephesus was actually in an area that would be in what we know now as Turkey. But still, Paul greeted them as saints and those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. And he pronounced on them that there were blessings that would come, and those blessings would come through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Let's stop right there. The biblical concept of blessing goes way back into the Old Testament. It refers to an act of declaring or wishing favor and goodness upon someone else. In the Old Testament, people that were important would bless people that were of less importance. Uh, For example, we remember, if you remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about Isaac when he had, was going to give a blessing to one of the sons and how Jacob and Esau went through this deception thing. Isaac ends, ends up blessing Jacob instead of Esau. That was a blessing that was bestowed from one person to another. Leaders often would pronounce a blessing on someone that was a subordinate to them. Uh, You look at when Moses was passing things down to Joshua, he pronounced a blessing on Joshua. Moses knew that he no longer was going to lead the people, that Joshua would be the next leader, so he pronounced a blessing on Joshua. Psalms 103, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at that. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We, in turn, are called upon in the word of God to bless the Lord. You say, well, how can we do that? God blesses us, and Paul speaks about this in the passage that we're reading, about how the blessings of God are so incredible on us. And because of that, we should in turn try to offer blessings back to him. Are we really capable of blessing God in the way that he blesses us? No. I mean, we're, we're human beings that were created by him. But, and though he blesses us, it, and we can't even come close to the kind of blessings that he blesses us with, we still have a, a, a commandment to try to return blessings to our God that created us. 
Of course, we look at all the different blessings, but the number one blessing, if we were to take all the blessings of God, the material things, the friends, the fellowship, all of those things, still, the greatest blessing that God has bestowed on each of the people of the church, the believers, is that he has forgiven their sins, pardoned their sins, wiped them out, and filled us with his spirit. That is the one thing that if we had absolutely nothing else in this world that we could still praise and bless God for. Ephesians 1 and 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ has blessed us with all these spiritual blessings, but it has been in Christ or through Christ that we receive salvation. That is the only way that we can receive salvation is through Christ. Back to verse 5. Ephesians 1. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pr- with his pleasure and will now <clears throat> that word predestined a lot of people when they hear that spoken of in in a church situation they get all nervous and i rightfully so probably because there's a, a lot of misinterpretation of what that means as far as pre- being predestined there's a lot a lot of different views on what predestined means in the bible <clears throat> let me give you a couple of them some people think that we as human beings are so debased by sin that we are unable to respond to the salvation that god offers through christ and it they believe that only a certain amount of people and those that God handpicks are able to receive salvation. And that's what predestination means. In other words, I can live my life any way I want <clears throat> because if God wants to save me, I'm going to be saved anyway. Kind of a twisted view, but there are people that actually believe that. Because they say, hey, the Bible says that, that there are certain ones that are predestined, so if I'm not destined to, to be saved, then who cares how I live? And if I am, that means I'll get saved someday. <clears throat> Let me give a, a little bit better view. Others believe, and I tend to believe this way, that God offers salvation to everyone. It is available, it is free to everyone. And this still remains true, even some, though some people reject it. Now, where the predestination thing comes in is that God knows who will accept it and who will reject it. He doesn't pick who will accept it and reject it. It's our choice. The only predestination that comes into it is if God is an all-knowing God and the Bible says that He knows the end from the beginning... He knows in His great wisdom, when it's all said and done, who will make that choice on their own to accept Christ and who won't. That's not the same 
as I'm going to live my life anyway. I can't want to, and whatever happens, happens. <clears throat> the choice is still ours. It's just that God knows the choice we make. Back to verse, let's, let's look at a, a very well-known scripture, <clears throat> just to, to show that it is for everyone. John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means it is to anybody that will accept Christ. That, that's, salvation is for everyone. God has not handpicked a certain number of people that are going to receive salvation. I don't care what anybody tells you, it's not true. Now back to verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now look at how Paul is writing this. Paul is writing and saying pretty much the same thing over and over, but he's talking about God's blessings on us. How rich and how full and how wonderful these blessings are. In, it, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which is purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, there's that word again, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise, might be for the praise of His glory. This list of praises in this passage of Scripture, it kind of rolls off of, of, of Paul's lips and off of his pen as he writes it down. And it describes all of the things that God has done. In verse number 8, he talks about how God lavishes on us these gifts. How he just blesses abundantly us with all wisdom and understanding. And what he's doing is he's building up to a point. Maybe we talked about there wasn't maybe a central theme. But I think if there were a theme in this section of, of the letter, it would be here is why you should praise God. These are the reasons. If you ever think you don't have something to praise God about, here are some reasons. He explained that in verse 4, if you go back to verse 4, that in fact before God made the world, that he loved us enough that he set up this, this plan of salvation, that Christ would come and be offered as a sacrifice for us. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. In other words, our salvation that we have today, it wasn't something that God just thought up right before you got saved. This was something that was in the plan before God ever created man, the world, the things that are on it. All of those things were in His plan. 
He was thinking about you back then. And when we think about it like that, it's no wonder that Paul was beseeching those people at Ephesus to worship God. Think about the blessings that God has placed on you. And usually if we stand up in church and we say, think about the blessings of God, we start thinking about a house and a car and and all those things. And Paul was saying, here's the things that really matter. It's the things of salvation and the fact that God, before time, before he ever created the world, before that, he was thinking about you and setting up a plan for your salvation all the way back then. That's what we should be thankful for. In verse number 8, in the King James Version, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That same verse in the NIV says that he lavished on us with wisdom and understanding. He has not just given us and thrown salvation out there, but he has given us wisdom and the ability to understand what it's all about. When we do understand it, and we really, it it hits us that that's what it's all about, it makes it easier for us to worship God. Or it should. None of these things just happened. It wasn't that one day God was sitting around with nothing to do, and all of a sudden He said, I think I'll, I'll create this this manifest manifestation of a man and send him down to earth for salvation. It didn't just happen. This is all the plan of God. God cared about you all the way back before he created the world. And if we could ever grasp that, when we come into the presence of God and, and have the opportunity to worship, it would probably change the way that we worship. If we think that I'm not just one of billions, that God actually looked and saw me at this point in my life. That's how much He loves me. Verse 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. I like that New International Translation. It's a deposit of guarantee. The Spirit of God. And if you look at those that that those two verses right there, you see that Paul gives these stages of the way it happened. It said they heard the gospel, and they believed, and then they were saved. You heard the word, you believed, and then you were saved. 
But he doesn't leave it there. He goes on to tell them that God gives them a guarantee, a stamp, if you please. And back, you have to realize that back in, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament day, there was a, um, when a letter or a contract was made, a king in the Old Testament would stamp that letter with his seal. And what Paul is saying is that God has stamped you with this seal. And to show you, he has put this down payment of his spirit in you. And that's the guarantee that there's actually more to come. We have the spirit of God as a promise. It is a promise to us. The spirit of God dwelling in us is a promise to us. It's not something that we have to to beg God for or we have to do certain things in order to for God to give it to us. The Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit is a promise to each and every person. And that is, like in verse 14, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. That's our guarantee. In addition to that, the Spirit of God, the presence of the Spirit of God in our life, it serves as a reminder to us the rich heritage that awaits believers when Christ returns. It's, it lets us know that this isn't all there is. This is just the down payment on what it really is. Being saved, for a person to come and repent and be baptized and receive the Spirit of God in their life, that is not the end. That's just the down payment. The real thing that, we're, that we will receive is when we receive our eternal inheritance. But in the meantime, we have the Spirit of God that is also spoken of as a comforter. And that's what God gives to each and every one of us. Those things right there are additional reasons that we have to praise the Lord. And if you look at another thing, how do people usually respond to good news? They're usually happy. If it's good news, there is either relief, there's happiness, there's joy. Sometimes there's crying, tears of joy. But there's this change in a person when they receive good news. That's what Paul wanted these people to realize. Here's the, here's the good news. In this letter, I've sent you this good news. You should be happy. You should be overjoyed. In fact, Paul, I, I believe as he was writing, Paul got excited because if you look in Ephesians 1 and 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe in the NIV it says, Praise be to the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was excited. It was good news. And he was telling the people of Ephesus, Things might not always go the way you want. You have to realize there was persecution back then. There, was, there were times when people were 
physically persecuted for what they believed. But Paul said that's not the stuff that matters. That's not the things that you need to get excited about. When life doesn't go exactly like we want it to go, we can still praise God. Now, I said all that to say this. How do we respond to the good news? There are many types of praise and worship. And I'm not going to try to give a a large, expounding diatribe on, on praise and worship this morning. But I want to touch on a few things that I think are very, very important. I read something recently that said, the main difference between worship and praise is that we worship God for who He is and we praise Him for what He's done. We worship God for who He is and we praise Him for what He's done. If one of you does a, a wonderful feat, let's say you um, you retire from this job and, and you've attained the highest level of anyone's ever attained in your company... You can receive praise for that because it's something you've done. And we praise people for for doing a good job, but we don't worship them. And that's where the difference is. Here's a dictionary definition. And these cross over a little bit, you'll see. But this is a, a Webster's Dictionary definition. Worship. The act of feeling of adoration or homage, the paying of religious reverence, as in prayer, praise, etc. Excessive or ardent admiration. Excessive admiration. If we come into the presence of God, and every time we enter into a praise and worship service, or, or that part of the service, if we could keep in mind that What worship really is, is excessive admiration. If we could show God excessive admiration every time we come into the presence of God. Now, praise. The verb definition, to express approval and commendation of, or to applaud. There's a place for that. As a noun, utterance of approval Thanksgiving for blessings conferred. Those are dictionary definitions. And it goes back to the first thing of we worship God for who He is and we praise Him for what He has done. By comparing these two definitions, we can see that praise is a very important part of our worship. I believe that when we come into, to, and not just at church, but in our, our private praise and worship, I believe that praise and worship go hand in hand. We express approval, 
thankfulness, respect for the Almighty God by offering praises to Him. Praises at that point become part of our worship. When we tell God how much we love Him. And although we generally think of of praise and worship as the part of the service before the preaching, praise and worship is so much more than that. I, I remember even, I mean, I'm glad that we consider it praise and worship before the, the preaching because at one time that section of the service was called preliminaries. Everything before the preaching was preliminaries. In other words, it was something that didn't make a whole lot of difference. It was what led up to the only thing that mattered. I didn't make it up. But I've looked back and thought, now that's just not right. It is not preliminaries. It is praise and worship to our Creator. It is a time when we can enter into our own personal communion with God alongside of others that are doing the exact same thing. And we as a congregation can offer up a congregate worship to our God. Exactly, it, it should. It's not preliminaries. It's not just in the same category as the announcements. It's way more than that. And it's even more than that part of the service. Worship is also a lot of other things. If someone stands here and does nothing more than read from the Word of God, that can be worship. A testimony, someone telling of of the goodness of the Lord, a, a testimony that is actually a testimony that talks about the goodness of the Lord, not a stand up and say, the devil's been chasing me all week, praise his holy name. That's not a testimony. At least not a testimony to God. A testimony is what I hear some of y'all stand up and talk about how good God is to me. Maybe stand and say the words of a song. Um, Whatever it is, if it's from your heart and it's, it's poured out from our heart as a blessing to God, that's a testimony. It's even more than that. Our praise and worship can also be in the way that we live our life. Worship involves more than just our praise. <clears throat> in our worship... We also show God how much we love Him by keeping His commandments. Remember the Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if we keep His commandments, as we do that, we're saying, I love you, Lord. That's another part of worship. Communicating with Him in prayer whether it's together or whether it's by yourself, fellowshipping with other believers. As we gather together and we worship together as a congregation, I believe that that's an important part of our praise and worship.
Nehemiah 8 and 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, this is the Old Testament, and look at the description of this. Ezra spoke, the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Sound familiar? wonder why we do some of the things we do and then it says that they bowed down and worshiped the lord with their faces to the ground and that's one of those times when you just are on your face before god it's all part of worship but here's something that's very important worship is not the position of our hands our feet our bodies it's the position of our heart do all of those things matter sure they do sure they do that's exactly it's an expression of what is in here that's what it's supposed to be it's an outward expression of what's inside sometimes we just sit and cry Sometimes we lift our hands and we can't say a word other than just, that's okay. Because we feel the, the awesomeness of the presence of God at the time. Now, there's other people that express it differently. They might feel like getting up and just taking about three laps around the building. You know what? That is fine. If that's your way of worshiping God, I probably won't join you. I just have never been a runner. But it's okay. If it's from your heart and you're not hurting somebody, and it's what you really feel like is your way of expressing your, your love and appreciation for God, then run around the building. David danced before the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing is, Paul went through all of these scriptures to lead up to one thing, and that was that God is such an awesome God that He deserves our praise and worship. That's what it all meant. Worship is an attitude of the heart. And the reason I say that is because we can worship things other than God. We can worship money. We can worship power. We can worship a lifestyle. They are fleeting things, but people still worship them. That's the problem with holding on to things so tightly. Is sometimes we lose focus of what we are to worship and we start worshiping those things that we hold on to so tightly instead of the one that gave us the things. 
Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 14. Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. This passage of Scripture lets us know that there is only one thing that we ever will have in life that's worthy of our worship, and that's God. Psalm 29 and 2. I'm going to read the King James Version. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That being said, I believe that when we worship God, it is important how we go about it. Now, however you personally express your worship for God, that's between you and God. But I want to go over a couple things this morning, and this is certainly not a, uh, any kind of criticism. When we, as Paul did in Ephesians, feel it in our heart and it's sincere, it will be expressed as it comes from our heart and not in the form of a trumped-up pep rally. That's not worship. For someone to get up in the front of the church <clears throat> and tell us, let's all march in place, let's wave our hands, let's clap our hands, everybody jump up and down, that's a pep rally. Now somewhere in there, there might be some worship from somebody. But worship comes from inside and goes out. It doesn't start on the outside and go in. And there are people that think, <clears throat> worship leaders, that think, well, if I can get everybody jumping and hooting and hollering enough, they'll feel the Spirit. No. It doesn't work that way. If you can get them to feel the Spirit, then people will worship. They might jump up and down and then they might just stand there and cry. But they will worship God. Now, because of that, I feel that one of the most important responsibilities in any church is the responsibility of the praise and worship team. I'm not taking away from pastor. I'm not saying he's not important. That's not my point. He is the leader of this church. But in a Service situation. Think how powerful and how important that is. Why is that? Choosing the right songs and presenting them in a way that provides for an atmosphere of worship is so important. Those people that stand up here are not up there as a proxy to worship God for you. And see, that's what happens sometimes, not necessarily at High Point Church, but in other churches, 
the worship team gets up there and they do their little thing and everybody says, well, I guess they, we worship today because they worshiped. No. Your worship is your responsibility. What is their job? Is to worship God for themselves so that God is pleased and to provide an example of worship for those who might not know what it is. That's their job. Does that mean that everyone has to act just like them? No. But their job is to worship God. And for those of the worship team that are in this place this morning, that is your job. It's not to entertain. It's not to sing a song so people will like it. It's to worship God from your heart for yourself. John 4.24 God is a spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Now, what I'm going to say now is not an attack on certain songs. But I want to try to explain something. There are a lot of different types of praise and worship songs. Keep that scripture up there for a minute. In spirit and in truth. Some of the songs that we sing... We sing to God to thank Him for His goodness and blessing. And some of those songs actually stick with us through the week as a reminder of that. I heard someone, a couple people this morning, talk this morning about how a song we sang last Sunday, how they sang it all week long. And it was a very simple song that was, I thank you. I thank you. And yes, it means an awful lot when we stand in the presence of God and sing, I thank you. But sometimes during the week, it's nice to be reminded that we can still thank Him then. And so we sing songs like that. We sing songs like God of Wonders. God of Wonders, you can put some words up on. God of Wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy. You are holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy. You are holy. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth. To show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. How great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, 
my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. And then we sing other songs. And although they're directed to God, they are to admonish us as the congregation to worship because He is worthy. Or as sometimes as a reminder of ways that we can worship. For example, shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Let us sing. Praises and majesty. Praise to the King. Let's just praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands toward heaven and praise the Lord. Why do we sing those songs? So that we'll together lift our hands and praise the Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart because I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Now, I I just picked those songs because those are ones as I was writing these notes, the ones that came to mind. But there's a reason that we sing what we sing. As over the years I've written a few songs. I've written some really bad songs. But there has been some songs as I've, that I've written recently in the last couple years that the only focus as I sat down to write the song was when we sing this song, will we sing it as praise to the Almighty God? Will it mean something as we just say the words. If there were no music and we just said the words, would it become praise to God? And as I got more involved in the writing of that, I also looked at some other things differently. I belong to a, it's kind of like a, what would be like a book club, except it's a song club. And every six weeks or so I get a book a CD, and it has all these new songs on there. There's times I'll get a CD and a book and I'll listen to it. And the first thing I do before I listen to the CD is read the words. And there's times I'll get a CD and there isn't a song on that CD that I think really is praise or worship. And so it just gets stuck on a shelf somewhere. And then you get another one, and it has just song after song after song because it just strikes your heart as you read the words. You don't, they're brand new songs, and I don't know how they go. I don't know the tune, so I'm not basing it on the tune, but the words speak to your heart. And the Bible says that God is a spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the sad thing is that there's been a lot of songs over the years that neither had spirit nor truth.
Another thing that I look for in a song is, is it biblically sound? If we have to worship in spirit and truth, if a song is not biblically sound, why would we sing it? Songs about grandma and grandpa, they're great. But they don't really have a place in a worship service. Unless you're worshiping grandma and grandpa. Someone's got their feelings hurt on that. We'll go on. There's other songs that are written in this, this language that I refer to as Christianese. And unless you are very fluent in Christianese, which is this, le- this language that only Christians know because they hear it all the time, the songs don't really make a lot of sense. I remember when I was a little kid, we sang a song called Hold the Fort. Hold the Fort for I Am... And I'm not making fun of songs. I'm just giving you an example. Hold the Fort for I Am Coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By God's grace, we will. And if you understand what it means, it's great. But picture a person that doesn't know what that's about. Such as a little boy when I was growing up. One of my favorite shows was Combat. Vic Morrow. And the only thing I could picture when we sang that song was Jesus wearing this army helmet... And being in part of the group with Vic Morrow. And going, I didn't understand what it meant. My grandfather sang a song called The Great Speckled Bird. People used to sing that song in church. Do some research and see what the great speckled bird is. It's not anything spiritual. And so if things that we sing are not biblically sound, it would be no different than Pastor Magine getting up here and, and reading from last week's issue of Time Magazine as his sermon. It's important that what we do when we come into the presence of the God to God, of God is biblically sound. It says that those that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And when I say I've written some really bad songs, they're songs that when you look back over, you go, that's not biblically correct. I remember one in particular. Um, I wrote a line, it says, Though the gates of hell should prevail against me, on this I can depend. Jesus is my friend. And I had to get that in there because what, it was hard to get something rhyme with friend. And the whole gates of hell thing I knew was scriptural. But then once we got to thinking about it, the Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. So we changed the words. We changed, so, though the wor- gates of hell should rise against me, 
on this I can depend. I have no cause to fear because Jesus is my friend. And, and I'm not saying that as a criticism because I wrote the song. But we have to be careful when we sing that we're singing things that really are scriptural. Now, one way of doing that would be go back and just sing nothing but stuff out of Psalms. But it's pretty limited. So what do we do? There are no perfect solutions. The important thing is that we don't waste an opportunity to worship when we have it. He is worthy of our praise. Paul went through this whole section of Ephesians to tell the Ephesian church how worthy God was and to talk of his blessings to us. We need to live our lives every day so that it offers praise up to God in the way that we live our life. And when we come together, the short time that we spend together as a congregation, we need to make sure that we spend that time wisely worshiping God from our hearts. Don't waste the opportunity. And I'm going to close with this. I'm I'm sorry I ran over this morning. This is the whole reason for it. Psalm 106 and 1. And I'll close with this. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. The King James Version. Praise ye the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endureth forever. When we think of the mercy of the Lord and how the mercy of God has been poured out on us, it should make us get so excited when we have the chance to come into the presence of God that maybe we can't sit still. God bless you.